from New Orleans, this is Mindset. Psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic interviews the leading lights of America's most fascinating city. Hi, and welcome to Mindset. I'm Dr. Nick Pajic. In New Orleans, all of us have a stake in our criminal justice system. We live in one of the most crime-ridden cities in America. Our per capita murder rate is one of the highest in the nation. We have more of our population in jail than any city in the country. In almost every poll of what matters most to New Orleanians about our city, crime ranks as number one. Crime for some citizens is not just a concern, but a way of life. From bad to good, they stretch from criminals to attorneys and judges. Most of us don't know any of these people personally, but today I'm going to take a step towards changing that. My guest on Mindset is criminal court judge Lori White. I've been on the bench five years now, and it's a much lonelier job than I would have anticipated. And when I say lonely, um, you know, all the lawyers call you judge and your honor. Mm -hmm. So you're in a position of respect, but you're also making a decision. Mm -hmm. And somebody's always going to dislike it on one side or the other. Yeah. So th that's you really have to be psychologically ready to be a judge. And I'm really pleased that I waited till I was 50 years old or 48 to become a judge mm -hmm. because you have to be able to, um, you can't please everybody. Yeah. There's always somebody unhappy. And then being a judge, you are always under scrutiny from the newspaper. No matter what you do, if I give somebody a life sentence, somebody's unhappy. If I give yeah. somebody what I think is a fair sentence of 25, 27 years, um, people are unhappy. And then in this media-crazed community, you know, everybody gets to log on and uh, complain about your verdicts, your comments on the news, on websites, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're really open to a lot of criticism. Oh, I can remember judges telling me that for years. Well, good, I made both sides unhappy. I guess I did my job. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it's not something that I think a person that would want to have people's approval would be comfortable doing. I don't have trouble making decisions, and I don't have a problem um, making people unhappy. Were you like that on? Were you like that early on in life? No. No. Mm -mm. Probably not. I think I was a huge people pleaser. That's something I grew out of. How was it that you're drawn to a profession where you shouldn't want to people please? But see, there's politics it. involved. So as long as you're being elected to make one side or the other unhappy, that still kind of satisfies both of that. You're, you're, you know, seeking support and kudos and affirmation and votes, money, whatever. Yeah. So you sort of get the good stuff there. And people to your face will usually tell you how much they love you. <laughs> Sometimes they'll tell you to your face how much they don't love you. Have you had people tell you to your face that they don't love you? As a judge or just all my life? <laughs> Either way, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can remember when I was law uh, lawyering, I had a lot of times that the other side, I mean, I represented uh, a lot of people charged with murder, hmm. and family members would, you know, threaten me or, or make comments, and I would only apologize or try to introduce myself to them to begin with and tell them that I have a job and it's nothing personal and I'm very sorry yeah. about their loss. And that's sort of the same way, except now... You know, I really don't get to apologize one way or the other because I, I, I don't need to apologize for my rulings. I try to be just as fair as I can. 
have you had times where you knew that a client probably murdered someone and you're still representing them? Oh, yeah. What's it like when you're in that position personally? What's well, probably, you're going to think this is odd, it's probably easier because you at least know that they've done a crime in which you're trying to seek the, the most leniency of punishments mm-hmm. versus a client, which I've also had, that's innocent. And you're worried about even the most leniency of punishments. Mm. So the pressure is more great with a not guilty client, but it's never made me fight differently because the state had to prove the case, just like I want to see now as a judge. The state has to prove every element. And that was my job as a defendant's lawyer to make sure that the state proved it. Do you trust the system that we have? That's a big question. I don't know. Some days. Depends on where you are in the system. Mm-hmm. Depends on who you're in front of and what the... I guess I trust the system, but I'm leery. Well, and, and the reason it. I say that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've seen cases where people will change their testimony. I've seen bad lab work. Um, I've, I had one of the first DNA exonerations in Louisiana mm. where DNA exonerated my client. And while DNA is exonerating my client from a mm. rape in which he'd been in prison for 15 years, the DA's office is on the front steps talking about the victim still saying she identified him and that's who raped her. So, I mean, she believed that and that's eyewitness testimony. So, you know, yeah. so do I believe the system? I, Yes, because it worked for him 15 years later, but no, because it didn't initially. What's it like to have someone released from prison and you be responsible for uh, overturning their conviction with that evidence? That case in particular, because it was where science met law, I was, I've never been so thrilled by a, a, a verdict in a, in a ruling. I just was really, um, frankly, I thought he was probably guilty. Mm-hmm. And so science proved it. And, I, and that was very interesting to me. It felt like real proof that I had never had in any case. Tell me the stresses of being a judge day to day that people might know, not know about. Oh, Lord, there's so many stresses. Yeah. Um, well, I work in a building that doesn't have hot water. Um, so I never get a coffee cup rinsed out with warm water. Mm-hmm. That troubles me. Um, I work in a building without air conditioning in the hallway. Our security is terrible. Um, I actually have my own security, as in I carry a gun to court. Mm. And by law, I'm allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And But I've always been around weapons, always been a hunter. So that that's not a scary thing for me. But, this, but the worry of, I sort of feel responsible for everybody there. We have sheriff's deputies in our courtroom, but they don't carry weapons in the courtroom. And they're busy, you know, giving out subpoenas or moving inmates from the jail downstairs up to the courtroom. So the stresses of the day are, you know, moving your docket Mm -hmm. and actually the logistics of trying to get a jury. Um, Downstairs, there's 300 people sitting there waiting on 12 sections of court to let them know if they're going to come up for a jury trial. And I have a docket of about 35 items every day. Hmm. And every lawyer wanted to ask me something, plus all the items that are that are not on the docket. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a new minute clerk that has to get the paperwork right or people sit in jail or do the wrong sentence. So I have mm-hmm. to make sure and work with her and train her. 
have court reporters that have to be there and get their transcripts out timely. I have lawyers that don't want to go to trial mm -hmm. on one side or the other. Uh, lawyers that aren't giving discovery, like from the state. I have to make sure and, and settle all these little tiny, mediate all these little ruckuses between everybody. So it's the doing all that, getting a jury upstairs before 11 o'clock, and then added to that, it, which is fun in a ironical sort of way, we have court watch in New Orleans that then reports what time I take the bench. Mm. So then I'm reported in the paper, for example, as taking the bench at latest one two years ago. I was really hurt and offended by that because I, it yeah. doesn't reflect how hard you work. What do you do outside of uh, work then to kind of de-stress? Oh, like any New Orleanian, restaurants, mm -hmm. festivals. I have a couple of dogs I work out. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually have a project um, renovating something. I like to renovate properties, and my husband and I like to travel. When you were younger, psychologically, what was it like growing up for you? I probably realize now how um, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to help the underdog many times because I always thought people should have a voice. And it's interesting because not only my legal career, but as a young person, I always kind of had the need to stand in front of a train for others. But I'm not sure I would always do it for me. Really? Mm -hmm. And have there, have there been situations that you haven't stood up for yourself? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I probably have. But I've never felt like I've been in any kind of... Um, predicaments with the train barreling down on me. Where do you get your sense of um, helping other people out or fighting for the underdog? Do I don't know. I think that came from way, way, way back. I know I, when I was really young, my dad was a farmer, and I grew up on a farm. Hmm. And I'm the youngest of three children, and I we had um, I had a housekeeper, and, a, and a, I called her Mammy. She mm -hmm. was a Mammy, literally on the, on the farm. And I can remember how troubled I was by the fact when I figured out that she didn't use our bathroom and she didn't eat with us. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember at under six, I was probably three to five years old, I always used the bath. We had an outhouse for her mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the country in Arkansas because that's where I was born. And I remember using the outhouse with her. My mother was like, will you quit? And I can remember being very, um, my mother and father always kind of wondered where they got me from. You mean she would use the outhouse because mm -hmm. she was uh, she was black black mm -hmm. she couldn't use our one bathroom in the house and as a small child you even felt the I the knew difference. that was wrong it made no sense to me yeah and then she didn't eat with us you know she didn't eat at the table with us so I would always eat with her mm -hmm. and then she never wanted to kiss me she would always kiss my sleeve mm -hmm. and that just made so I sort of lived the help did you know that um, early on in your career that that's what that's one of the reasons that drove you to be an attorney. I didn't really know that. I just knew. I always wanted to be a lawyer from really young, probably second or third grade. I have no idea where that came from. Movies or? Probably. Probably Perry Mason. Perry Mason? Probably Perry Mason. And, and then um, I know a, my dad worked late, you know, till dark every night. We had dinner 8 or 8.30 at night. And, you know, he wore blue jeans and boots, and he was a farmer. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, John Wayne kind of guy. And so I know that we had a friend, my mother's friend, and she was um, somebody that I was very fond of, and her husband was a lawyer. So I may have gotten it from him because I know he always wore a suit, came home before dark, and had a cocktail at the end of the day, and I thought that was all very cool. What was it like 
attending law school and becoming, I guess, a professional when your dad, you grew up? Well, my dad had a college education. Oh, okay. And my mother um, almost finished college, but my brother and sister didn't finish college. Mm -hmm. And so I finished college and... I did that probably because my dad was so intent on all of us finishing college, but my brother and sister just didn't quite finish. Mm -hmm. And then um, I always knew I wanted to go to law school. <clears throat> and I insisted on paying for law school because my father paid for college. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He never wanted me to work. Really? Why not? Because my dad was an old Southern type and, um, you know, thought I'd probably marry somebody and have him take care of me like he did with his wife or like he expected for his children. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember giving my, he gave me a car, a new car when I graduated from, when did he give me, probably when I started high school, he gave me a, a new car and I gave the car back to him and went and bought my own car and insisted on getting it financed without my father co-signing and I had no credit. Mm -hmm. And so I remember giving the car back. So, I mean, I was always fiercely independent. I wanted to be financially independent. Where did that come from? I have no idea. What's your, you don't mention your mom too much. How, how come? She was there. She was a big part. Tell me about your mom. She was, she could have been the CEO of the world if she could have left the house earlier. <laughs> <laughs> she was a pistol. Really? She's very difficult. What, in which way? Every way. She was a narcissist. Really? Mm-hmm. So I think people use the word narcissist a lot, but, but people who grow up with one know intimately what that means. Can you illuminate our audience what you mean by that? She was a very difficult person, very hard on everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody lived to serve her, and I was part of all that. Can you tell more? It was painful to have a mother like that. But she was also... She had a wonderful ability to have want to be a wanderlust type, and I think I got my desire for travel from her. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she didn't have a college education, but she was a wonderful cook and a homemaker. She was yeah. really clean, extremely clean, <laughs> and she always um, she always pushed me. My mother never thought that I would really be a lawyer. I think she, my mother, if my mother had been born at a different time, she would have been a professional woman, mm -hmm. probably never married. And, and she was, a, a lot of ways, a victim of her time frame. And it's hard for you to talk about her. It's emotional Always. for you, really? Is she still living? No. When did she die? The week of Katrina. Oh, really? Okay. From Katrina or? No. Unrelated. She had a massive heart attack and died. Oh, jeez. When I had just put my my father and mother in a nursing home because my father had had a stroke. Yeah. And she wasn't really, she was 80. And I was the youngest, so um, I put them in a nursing home because she really couldn't take care of him anymore. Mm -hmm. And so then she moved them out <laughs> two weeks later. <laughs> so I probably get my independence from her. And then... She wasn't doing well, and so I put her in another nursing home, and she started having a lot of neurologic problems. Mm -hmm. So I put her in a neurologic hospital, and she had a massive heart attack and died. And, and, and she was buried on Friday, and Katrina hit on Sunday. So yeah, that was, um, I, that was 
probably want to cry. It yeah. was a big loss. That's a, and it's all tied together. Katrina losses as well. Mm-hmm. What was Katrina like for you then? We um, we had a lot of damage on our home, but we uh, we were really lucky. You know, my law firm I owned my own building. I lost the lawyers in my law firm to other locations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all disappeared and dispersed after Katrina. So I was pretty much running my firm that had mm. been five lawyers mm. within two or three weeks after Katrina all by myself. Mm. But right after Katrina, um, I went to Baton Rouge to stay at my mother's house because mm-hmm. my dad had to have emergency surgery that week because I didn't think my dad would make it a week after my mother died. They'd been married 65 years. Oh. And so he had to have emergency surgery. I'm the youngest. I have an older brother that's um, had a brain injury when he was 15. Hmm. So I handle all of the business for him. So when I talk about my family, that's a lot of. It's, yeah. it's always my sadness. Even even now too. Always. Really, how unre- unresolved you feel? No, I feel it's resolved, yeah. <laughs> and it's sad. What are the most sad parts for you? Well, what it could have been. But my re- realization of what it never was and never would be. You mean uh, in respect of which which family member? Parents. Parents. Mm-hmm. What were you hoping that they w- w- it would have been like? I guess. Oh, you know, loving, accepting, you know, unconditional, positive regard. Those things would have been nice. Did you interest? Ever, interest. Did you find that? Um, uh, that your mom was still critical of you even after you attained success as an attorney oh, and yeah. beyond? Yeah. So what, give me an example of what she would say to you that was critical. Just <laughs> put it in perspective, if you don't mind me asking. My mother always, always, um, she had me when she was like 38 years old. And so I was pretty much, as she always told me, if she, if abortion had a been. <laughs> I know this is going to sound, it always sounds worse when Mm -hmm. I say it, but it was pretty horrible when she said it. If abortion was more prevalent, she probably would have had one because she cried for nine months. So I have always, as I told you, I have a gallows sense of humor, said I was the abortion that lived. So here I was, the youngest child, and I'm the one that was there. Always. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. So pretty much... um, I ended up having a lot of Dr. Spock um, moments with my mother because I had to be Dr. Spock. And I'm talking about Dr. Spock from Star Trek. Yeah. So you mean emotionally separated? Absolutely. And then you attending to her needs and Mm -hmm. not your own emotional needs. Yeah. Well, I didn't with her. I dealt with them away from her. I never shut. It wasn't like I shut down and didn't deal with them. Mm -hmm. But I, I chose not to separate from my family, which probably would have always been the best thing for me. I mean, if you would have just cut and run and did your own thing. And, yeah. Yeah. Way back when. Do you feel bad like you didn't do enough or something? Oh, no. No. I did way more than okay. than humanly possible. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'm, and I'm never really, I don't have resentment. I still don't. Why not? It's just not, it, it would be detrimental to me. It's just not really worth it. Who, who, what's it going to, it's not going to fix anything. Well, uh, I mean, I'm mad. Yeah. Um, believe me, I've been mad. Yeah. I have an older sister that lives in Baton Rouge 
my sister does nothing to help me with my father in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And in fact, doesn't like to see him because it's, you know, traumatic and troubling for her. Mm-hmm. She's a lot like my mother. I see. You can't wish people different. Wow. But my mother uh, pulled her pulled a gun on my brother several times. Did those things to me. Broke my finger once. Broke um, your finger once, really? You... Hit me with a broom. There was a there was my mother was very rough. Yeah, she sounded un- pretty unstable. She was very unstable. Do you ever think that you were driven in your law? practice and helping people based on how your mom treated you and abused you? Probably. You think so? But but I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as helping others. Because, see, I was always that way in school. Mm -hmm. Meaning protecting other people? Mm -hmm. What sounds like, I mean, you had an abusive mom and and then seeing the um, disparity between uh, whites and blacks with your mammy, um, that that really planted a strong seed. Um, interesting. I may have to write a check by the end of this interview. No, well, <laughs> no, careful. No, this is just about <laughs> one Orleanian to another. I mean, this is. Um, let's talk about success in the face of all of that. So, it's the sweetest revenge. If somebody were being abused now and were listening to this show, what would you tell them? You can always get up. You can always succeed without it. Mm-hmm. Without that love. And and you have to have your own. You have to love yourself and find it in other ways in your life. Which ways have you found it in other ways, you think? I think through my career and a lot, because that was one way that you can receive your own level of support and positive regard by helping people or by getting educated. Like I said, it's sweet revenge in a sense. What is getting educated revengeful for you? How is it revengeful for you? By being able to make choices, uh, my own choices, to live where I want, spend the money that I want, you know, the, the luxuries yeah. of life. That's my revenge, to and do not, it, to make having, my choices and, and not be um, victimized by not having those choices. And then I, I have a wonderful marriage. This is my second marriage. We're mm-hmm. very happy. So those kind of things. And I have, you know, um, good friends. I travel, and I lead a pretty... Um, pretty cool life. What's your mindset these days on on your work and life and in, in light of all the abuse you've, that you've sustained? My abuse I've sustained? I think... Are we talking about childhood stuff? Well, sure. I mean, it seems like you... I don't think I can get abused now. <laughs> no, no. Well, I guess in terms... Here you are. You, you had a, it sounds like you had a diff, very difficult childhood. Mm-hmm. You had a very critical mom that it's still sad saddens you to talk about, and and I guess um, you've reached lots of success in spite of all of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of it dr- drove you to success to kind of get out from under her uh, thumb, so to speak. And I, I, I guess I just want to know your mindset for success and you know what keeps you going. Um, I like doing things. I like improving systems. I like thinking new ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what I liked about practicing law, because you could see a see a situation and handle it differently, and the law allows for that. Mm-hmm. And I like to th- be an interesting, critical, different thinker. And um, so, you know, I think my goal was to 
become a lawyer, and then maybe someday become a judge. I never dreamed I would become a judge in New Orleans. One, I didn't live, you know, I wasn't born here. Mm-hmm. None of my education was here. And and I'm white. And at the time, you know, this is a over 60% um, African-American community. So I didn't really ever expect to run for office, much less to be successful. And I ran for office, and I was successful. Mm-hmm. Just through hard work and perseverance and and I've just always really been a positive thinker and so now I'm a judge so now it's five years into this and and it's not you know it's not the end of my career it's not where I could stay forever where do you see that you could go after this I'm not sure I don't have that plan filled yet yeah and do you still have about three or four years left to serve or five more years um, to 2014 would be re-election. And I expect to run for re-election, but I don't see myself being here for a long, long time. Yeah. I, I think I would stagnate, and I don't want to do that. I just have bigger ideas and bigger plans, but I'm not sure what they are yet. What's the best part of your job now? I thought that I wouldn't be able to help people when I became a judge. And I think by example, I help people. I, I think I... I push lawyers really hard, both Mm -hmm. sides, because I've been a prosecutor and a defense lawyer. And I hope that um, they don't have to be as hard on themselves, maybe, as I have always been on myself to push as a pusher and and, um, push to do better things or Mm -hmm. this or that, but to to do a really good job. And and I think that's what's important for your client, for your paycheck, for you to look in the mirror, that kind of thing. Hmm. But I don't do any of this or suggest that for others to the detriment of how you can be true to yourself. I say that again? I don't push that, what I was just saying, Yeah. to the detriment of being true to yourself. Some people can't do it. Uh, like the attorneys you mean you're pushing? Mm-hmm. In which way will you push them? Well, produce law when you're making an argument. Don't do things off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Actually prepare and think and be... Because Tulane and Broad, where I work, has mm-hmm. a bad reputation for being, you know, criminal court. Uh, you can get away with things at criminal court in front of those judges that you can't get away with in other places. Mm-hmm. I've even asked one of my girlfriends who was a judge at civil court because she was saying in the domestic section, this isn't Tulane and Broad. And mm-hmm. I asked her to please not ever say that again mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it, it, it is hurtful to those of us at Tulane and Broad that don't want to be seen in that light. Yeah. You know, we we handle lots and lots of work. I had 55 jury trials last year in my section of court. Mm-hmm. That's as many as the entire parish and all the judges in Jefferson Parish. So, I mean, that's that should be at least acknowledged that we're obviously not just sitting around getting to work late. <laughs> yeah. Not doing any work. But I took over a really old docket that needed to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I did the work and pushed everybody till we got it cleaned up. You had to give advice about success in general for other folks now that you've become a judge and you've, it's been a long time that you've worked very hard. What would you tell people? I think you have to do something every day that doesn't make you comfortable. Hmm. Yeah. And, and try two things the next day. Because if I had have ever stopped 
doing things that made me com you know uncomfortable I could have never done anything I've done I think it's great advice um, anything else you want to add Lord no my guest today has been New Orleans criminal court judge Lori White I'm Dr. Nick Pajic Thanks for joining me on this edition of Mindset. Mindset is produced by Grant Morris, Trish Kaufman, and Graham DePonte. Technical direction by Eric Morrill. Mindset music is composed and performed by Alexis Marceau and Sam Kraft. Mindset is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.